work on something that is worth failing at right because no matter what startup you do it's tough it's not just science based startup any startup is tough people don't part with their money whether it's an investor or a customer very easily so establishing product market fit getting the traction in the market scaling up like we said building the team all of this has its own challenges um i think what keeps you going is having that bigger cause that's bigger than yourself Hello and welcome to the Startup Operator podcast. I'm Roshan Karyappa. LL Subban is the co-founder and CEO of String Bio, that is a core science startup synthesizing protein from methane. Their product is applicable in food, agriculture, manufacturing and plenty of other domains. In this conversation, I speak to LL about some of the nuances of operating a core science startup and all of the associated opportunities and challenges. Things like longer iteration cycles, attracting the right investors and employees, working with regulators on policy and about changing the mindset on sustainability this was a fascinating conversation with an entrepreneur who is literally building the future do check out this startup operator podcast with elen subhan hi elen uh, welcome to the startup operator podcast thank you so much for making the time great to be here thanks so much for having us yeah so i've been really looking forward to our conversation uh, like i said you know we don't have a lot of core science or deep tech founders on the podcast and i'm really excited about understanding more about how you operate in the space i do know that it's way more challenging because you can't really function the way a conventional startup does right your iteration cycles are way longer and that impacts plenty of things on in terms of how you run the startup itself so i'd love to understand some of those nuances of building a core science startup you know what are some of those opportunities and challenges what is your typical day look like nice uh well great great to be here actually and uh, let me start with uh, what is the science that we do right i think that be a good place for us to start yeah. so very simply put actually the interestingly the science that they leverage at string today is a very ancient science which is the art of fermentation right so i'm sure all of us are familiar with fermentation we use it to make wine cheese and uh, what we have done is we have we asked ourselves a question can you uh, ferment a greenhouse gas what that means is let's say you talk about alcohol fermentation in alcohol fermentation the substrate is what is called liquid substrate sugars and that is what typically is used for most fermentation the question that we asked at string is hey can you use this ancient art of fermentation but instead of using a liquid substrate could i use the energy that is there in greenhouse gases as the fundamental raw material for fermentation right that's the basic science that we do basically uh, leveraging an old art but uh, advancing it for today's day and time so that we can really enable uh, what is called sustainable manufacturing practices right and to address your question about science based innovation science based startups I think uh, one of the key things that we have to understand is uh, unfortunately science is a lot more about failures right because you really need only one successful experiment but to get to that one successful experiment you often times performing 99 failed experiments so if you see inherently unfortunately even though we live in an age of instant gratification the mindset that is required is one of patience so that fundamentally needs to be in the fiber of the team 
in the fiber of the investors, in the fiber of, you know, even your strategic partners. And so the ecosystem, it's a completely different energy for science-based startups as opposed to, let's say, a tech-based startup. So the ecosystem has to be supportive for enabling science-based startups because what is there at the other end of this is actually really developing solutions to solve deeper problems that can make a big difference in terms of transforming lives, in terms of making the quality of lives better, right? So for example, if you see what we are doing at String in today's day and age, when climate impact is there in everyday conversation, we are actually leveraging fermentation to convert greenhouse gases into useful products. So thereby actually bringing uh, performance differentiated, but carbon friendly products to market. Right? So it can make a big, significant difference in terms of transforming lives, making uh, mankind's life better, making the planet a better place for us. Right, But to do that requires patience, requires getting through those failed experiments to the successes and really establishing um, you know, that product market fit. Right, So I think while uh, the challenge is there, I think it takes a very different kind of fiber and a different kind of energy to enable science-based startups. The plus side, I would say, Roshan, is I think uh, that change is starting to happen in the Indian ecosystem now, thanks to a lot of effort by the Department of Biotech, uh, the Department of Science and Technology. I think over the next decade, we'll start to see a lot more science-based startups emerging in the Indian ecosystem. Right. That's awesome to know. Uh, I want to pick up on one of the things that you mentioned, which is, it, it seems as though the cost of failure is huge, right? Because you can't really uh, iterate the way, you know, a typical tech startup does uh, in this whole fail fast fashion, where if you get it wrong, I mean, probably it'll crash your application. You will piss off a, a few people and you will move on from that and you will learn from that experience, right? There's there's a real cost of failure to, you know, the kind of stuff that you do, right? So I, I wonder how that factors into everything that you do. Yeah, no, that's a that's a fantastic question. So the way we approach it at String is to break the problem into bite-sized chunks, right? Basically, take the problem down to first principles and break it down into bite-sized chunks that need to be solved. And I think uh, one thing that as a science-based startup, something that we have to be very aware of is we want to be developing products that is required by the market. Right? Because it is not just about exciting science, but science is always exciting and very interesting and very deep. But it is about leveraging science, converting it into an innovation that can be taken to market and uh, really solves a consumer's need. So while at one end, we're problem solving on the science, at the other, uh, other end, we have to be in very close touch with the customer and at every iteration, make sure that we're solving for the customer's needs, right? I'll give you a classic example. Like, for example, one of the products that we make using our platform, we're converting methane into protein ingredients, right? That can go into animal nutrition, human nutrition. So when we're doing this, at its core, actually, what we're solving for is the efficiency of the fermentation process. But in reality, what we're solving for is we're actually solving for a protein ingredient that the customer wants. Because at the end of the day, that's all they want to know. They don't want to know about 
you know, the efficiency of your fermentation or how you designed your engineering. That is our problem to solve for. So I think the way to address it is to define it into bite-sized chunks that can be solved. But each iteration of this, you have to validate that the, what we are developing still makes sense for the customer. And that needs to be the pull for solutions like this. So how do you identify opportunities for product development? You know, I mean, can you take us through that whole process of going from the, the lab to the market? Absolutely. So what we have done is, you know, while we're solving for, okay, you know, using greenhouse gases and why are we solving for that? If you look at methane, right? Uh, methane actually has a lot of energy inherently in it. But as mankind, what do we do? We burn methane and take the heat energy from it. And, you know, it's a fuel or it's a heat source. But what we did at String is we said, okay, can this energy be converted into products? And what are the kind of products that the energy can be used to make? Now, when we started that, given there was a complexity on the fermentation side, we started with the simplest product that we could make using the process, which actually, interestingly enough, is protein, right? So that's that's kind of where we, so when we built the first product using the platform, we solved for the simplest, kind of the minimum viable product that we made using the platform was actually on the protein side. And as I said, you know, once we said we had the base version of our protein, we started testing it with our customers and iterating through their requirements, right? So for example, if you say protein, first it's about the percentage of protein, and then it is about the percentage of amino acids that is present in the protein, which is just you know what makes your protein is actually amino acids. And then once you solve for that, then the customer is asking about, okay, but what about the fat that is coming along with the protein? Right, and then what about the carbohydrates? So as you go through, going through pipe optimization, but this is being done in very, very close discussion with the customer, with the end user, and you're solving for those, right? That's the first product. And then once, you know, at this point, we've actually very well fine-tuned our fermentation process, right? And we've solved the fermentation process using the simplest product we could make. Now we can increase the complexity of what we're trying to make using the process. That's when we started exploring, okay, what else could be made using this? And then we looked at other uh, market sectors. For example, we realized, say, we can make protein, but that also means we can make very interesting peptides, which are nothing but strings of amino acids attached together. And then we realized that these can have a very, very critical role in the agriculture space. So then we leveraged up platform to make products for the agri sector. And we have, um, you know, we'll talk about the use case in more depth. We have some very, very interesting use cases where we're converting methane into these peptide molecules that can go into the agri sector and uh, make a significant difference in terms of the yield per acre for the farmer, but also make a significant difference in terms of the quality of the fruits and vegetables that we're making. Right. It turns out that when you actually spray the crops with this uh, peptide formulation, it can make an effect on the shelf life of your produce. Right. So, for example, if you take something like a spinach or lettuce or bok choy, uh, what is typically a 48 hour shelf life can be extended to a 96 hour shelf life. And this is using organic, clean, chemical free input on your crops right so so then we started exploring okay now we make peptides 
what are other small molecules that we can convert it into, right? So then we started building on the complexity on the product side once we had a handle on the core fermentation side, right? So I would say it's a bit about building once you have that core foundation, then it's about building on the complexity of what else is possible. And, uh, you know, I've been a lifelong fan of biology. And what is very interesting about biology is when you talk about what is called biological catalyst, the array of products, the chemicals, small molecules that you can make is extremely vast. You know, I'm sure you've heard, right? Nature always has a solution. It's already solved for what we require. And that's the power in the platform. So in fact, I would say at String, is still playing small, right? You know, we still are only now starting to explore what are the different molecules we can make using this platform. As we build and develop this further, I'm sure we can make a whole array of interesting molecules for, for example, the polymer space, the material space, right? We can make very interesting molecules for the whole personal care, cosmetics, consumer space. But, you know, for us, we're exploring it more from the chemistry aspect and then seeing how that chemistry can solve for a functional requirement that our customer has, right? It could be, like I said, better shelf life. It could be a lower water requirement for the crop. It could be better disease tolerance. Again, a very interesting um, output that we saw is with that when you spray these crops with our peptide products, it actually makes the crop more tolerant to not just biotic stresses. That is, uh, it is making the crop a lot more resistant to pests, but it also makes the crop a lot more tolerant to climatic variability. Right, which um, I'm sure you've seen, India ranks seventh in uh, the climate sensitivity index. We have a very vast coastline, and agriculture is dependent on monsoon season. And unfortunately, per capita income is very low, so we don't have a social buffer. So it makes us as a country very, very sensitive to the whole climatic variability. So again, if you think about it, very exciting solution. You're taking greenhouse gases, converting it into peptides using it to spray crops, which in turn makes the crop more tolerant to abiotic stresses. Right. So you're innovating at such a fundamental level that, you know, there could be like hundreds of use cases, right? I mean, you you just gave us a, an example of three or four of them. I wonder how your marketing and customer acquisition and sales really works, you know, because it could feed into like two or three different industries, you know, many different applications and so on. So how does that whole, you know, outside of the lab stuff really work? Yeah, very interesting. So um, see, for us, the fundamental driver to date has been how to make sustainability market relevant. Okay, what I mean by that is we are at its core, actually a manufacturing company, right? And unlike what happened in olden days where you saw these large chemical manufacturing plants, we're actually setting up a biological manufacturing. And in terms of our market pull, our driver is that we want to make products that a consumer is buying today because based on performance. But these products are fundamentally more sustainable based on how they are manufactured, which is they use a greenhouse gas, right, as a raw material. Now, in terms of our go-to market, uh, we have two approaches. One for some of these products, String is doing the manufacturing ourselves. And then we're working with distribution partners who are helping us take these products to market. 
In other cases, they are actually working with strategic partners in these industries, right? It could be a partner in the food space. It can be a partner in the animal nutrition space. It may, can be a cosmetic player. And together with these strategic partners, we are actually setting up the whole manufacturing. So in this case, we are doing a complete licensing play. We license our technology to the partner. They set up the large-scale manufacturing. And then they already have the last mile distribution networks to take these products to market. So we have both of these plays. But ultimately, the way we are um, growing as a company is these partnerships that we have, whether they are on the manufacturing side or the partnerships that we have on the go-to-market and distribution side, we are making sure that we have partners who are vision aligned in terms of the larger picture here, right? Because at the end of the day, our goal is still, we want to make sustainability market relevant. It should not be an afterthought. It needs to be inherent in how these products are manufactured, right? So we're really building those long-term partnerships, you know, and then it is about working with the partner about the messaging, the customer acquisition, working very closely with our customers. Like I said, you know, at each stage, we are doing a market validation with the customer, hearing what their pain points are. How do they do, use our products, right? Like, for example, when we talk about our crop inputs, we worked our crop inputs so that they can work as a drench, a soil drench system in the drip irrigation that already exists. Right. This can be a spray, a foliar spray. We often also work with some of the folks who are doing urban farming to see that our product can be compatible in terms of the systems that they use for spraying on leafy greens and so on. So through each cycle, we are working very closely with the customer. But in terms of our go-to market, we have the right partnerships either on the distribution side or on large strategics who are coming in into the manufacturing itself with string. Right. When we talk about sustainability, right, I mean, typically we tend to think of some kind of a trade-off, uh, either in terms of cost or convenience. Uh, of course, I mean, that is getting slowly redundant with the technology accelerating at the pace at which it is, right? So how do you think about changing people's mindset about sustainability in general? Mm -hmm. That's a very deep question. <laughs> That's a very deep question, right? So let's take a step back. I'm sure you're familiar with the Paris Climate Agreement. So, you know, a big step forward. A lot of countries came together to sign the Paris Climate Agreement. But unfortunately, since then, we didn't have any significant progress on the ground itself. And uh, I really love how Barack Obama put it, actually. He said that uh, when it comes to climate change, our generation will be the first generation that feels the impact of climate change, but it will be the last generation that has a chance to do something about it, right? And that, that really highlights what happened since your Paris Climate Agreement and COP26, right? Because I think in the last few years, what was nice to have in terms of climate change targets have become a must-have. And I think at COP26, we finally have aligned again on very significant net zero targets. India, for the first time, has actually committed to net zero by 2070. Very, very significant move, right, for a country like India which is still in the developing phase. So I think we are definitely headed in the right direction. And uh, for whatever reason, I would say that the whole pandemic has actually 
significantly accelerated and shifted our mindset around sustainability. Just in the last two years, I would say the funding that has gone into the whole uh, climate change has gone up significantly, right? From uh, Jeff Bezos to Bill Gates to Elon Musk to, you know, billionaires world over have poured money into setting up climate-focused funds today that are then investing in innovation that can really make a, a significant change in terms of both mindset as well as enabling technologies that, um, that are easier to adapt. From a string standpoint, as I mentioned earlier, our driver has been, we want to make sustainability market relevant, right? So when we want our customers to switch to more sustainable solution, we believe that it has to be a very natural shift. It should be something where the energy for changing is very low. And that's why our driver has been to bring to market performance differentiated products that are also sustainably manufactured. So tomorrow when you say, hey, I, you know, I want to use your string crop inputs in my terrace garden, it has to be because you've seen the 20% increase, right, in your spinach yield on your coriander. And because of that, you're buying our product. But when you do that, you're actually making more sustainable choices. And I believe that needs to be how it is for sustainable solutions, right? Fundamentally manufacturing. Today, we are only looking at the cost of goods of raw material. I hope we transition to a point where the cost to the environment in terms of how we manufacture becomes a natural component of how the bottom line is calculated. Once that happens, then it won't be an afterthought. It'll be a natural way of life for us to also take into account the uh, effect we have on the air, the soil quality, right, the water quality for everything that we do. Right. We're also seeing that the financial viability for sustainable solutions is actually, you know, improving, right? I mean, uh, definitely. But it's still very difficult to attract capital for core science or deep tech, you know, relatively uh, on a relative scale. Uh, because I guess it's much harder for people to really get it. Uh, and the percep perception is that it's high risk, right? So what has been your experience, you know, talking to investors and any pointers for founders operating in similar circumstances on how they can get people to believe in their vision? Uh, again, again, I think very, very good question and very relevant question for the Indian ecosystem, right? And the, say, and the reason I say that is I think we are, as a society, as an ecosystem, transitioning to a point where we're starting to support science-based innovation. So for us, let me talk about our personal experience. So my experience, so String is actually the fourth startup that I've been involved with, right? So I had previously been in other startups. And based on the experience that we had, uh, we decided to bootstrap the first few years of String's uh, core technology development. And this gave us the um, ability, the um, patience to be able to develop a technology get our product ready, validated before we went out to raise capital from the market, right? And, you know, the reason for this is if you look at uh, investors, they have a fund mandate, they need to be able to show a certain return, right? So I think you also, it's about making the choice in terms of at what point you want to raise capital and what are you raising that capital for, right? Is it about core technology development? Is it about product validation or is it growth capital? So I think uh, for us, once we went out into the market, 
uh, as I said, you know, science-based innovation, you need a certain fiber on the team. You need a certain fiber with the investors. You need a certain fiber with the partners. So we took time to find the investors who were aligned with the core vision of what we were trying to do here. I think it's very, very critical to have that vision alignment with the investors, right? Because otherwise it becomes a recipe for disaster, right? If, uh, you know, the investors want to take the company a certain way and you're looking to take it a certain way. So I think for us, fortunately, uh, what also happened, Roshan, was at the time that we started to look for capital, three things globally became very important. One was sustainability became more mainstream. As I mentioned, right, uh, sustainability is starting to attract a lot of capital recently. Food became a very, very interesting uh, area for investment. And within food, alternative protein became a very attractive sector, right? Also because the way we um, produce protein today, right, particularly when you talk about cows and you talk about um, soy cultivation, these all have a very high impact on the environment, on climate. So the uh, alternative protein space was also attracting a lot of ca uh, capital. So for us, when we reached out, it was about talking to investors in this particular area and having the right vision alignment with those investors. So in fact, we are in the process of raising a Series B. Uh, we're in discussion with global investors in these sectors. And uh, so far, so good, right? So in terms of other science-based, um, you know, other entrepreneurs, my advice to them would be being very clear about talking to the investors who, um, who, are, for, who are very aware of, you know, let's say other science-based innovation, right? Because if you have to spend a lot of time educating the investor, then it's probably not a good match, right? Because then their fund mandate and uh, where you are uh, looking to take the company, that becomes a complete mismatch. That's one thing. And second, I would say in terms of the early high-risk innovation, one uh, great option for uh, the Indian ecosystem is actually the government is putting in a lot of funds to uh, encourage science-based startups. So your early high-risk work can actually come from leveraging a lot of grants. That can be used to validate the initial technology, right? And then you go outside for either angel or VC capital based on the stage of company. So I think, uh, like I said, I think you are starting to see that change even in the Indian ecosystem. You're also seeing a change where uh, global investors are starting to look at deep tech startups coming out of India. So that's also a welcome change. So the other complexity about your business is that you have to deal with policy and regulation, right? Because again, I mean, you're innovating on things like food and substances and so on. What is your experience been like working with, uh, you know, policymakers and government organizations and so on? Yes, yes. So we are a global company, right? So we work with the FDA and we also work with FSSAI. And uh, I would say when it comes to policy and regulation, it's been about um, it's been about building trust. It's been about a lot of education and it's been patience. You see, the big difference that I've seen is so when it comes to the FDA, a lot more mature, you have consultants who can help you in terms of the process, right? So there's a lot more clarity 
in terms of what needs to happen. And oftentimes, the experienced consultants are just taking us through the process of working with the FDA. When it comes to FSSAI, particularly for protein ingredients, it has been a lot of education, right, in terms of making them aware of uh, what the changes are, why the changes are required, um, making them aware of the safety studies that have been done, not just with our protein, but similar kind of platforms globally. On the positive side, what I would say is that uh, there's definitely been an openness to listen. And, um, you know, the FSCI is actually just starting to uh, come out with its position on both, uh, uh, you know, alternative proteins as well as genetically modified components. So again, a big change there. So I would say, I think for each geography, and this is, these are two of the geographies, right? Likewise, as I mentioned, uh, we've got strategic partners today in Asia Pacific. We have strategic partners that we're working with in uh, South America. So for each of these, we are working with either the partner or through other consulting firms to work on the regulatory side. And uh, so I would say globally, it's been one of patience, one of trust, and one of really learning to work with them and build the trust over time. On the policy front, what I would say is, you know, we talked about uh, India's policy on innovation. I think that's really helping a lot of science-based startups come up. And I do see that India is taking, uh, you know, a proactive approach to climate change as well. So I believe that in the next five years, we'll also see policy changes that will come up that can really encourage um, a lot of startups that have uh, sustainability as part of the narrative, right? I'll give you a, a quick example. For example, um, you know, one of our products for the agri sector is called Clean Drives. And uh, Clean Drives is a very interesting product. So when you use it for uh, paddy cultivation, it helps to increase the average yield per acre for paddy. But also very, very interestingly, it can reduce the methane emission from paddy. So why is this interesting? Well, uh, if you look at global greenhouse gas reduction, almost 50% of GHG emission is actually coming from the agri sector. It comes from how we make our food. And within that, almost 10%, that is 30 million metric tons per annum, is actually coming from rice cultivation, a staple in Asia. And globally, you know, as part of COP26, we have set ourselves a target to reduce methane emission by 2% every year. Now, if you use clean rice, that is strings product, in 10% of paddy fields globally, you can achieve 25% of this target with just this one solution. And if we manage to use uh, clean rice in 50% of global rice fields, we can overshoot this target by almost 18%. And this is one solution for just paddy cultivation globally, right? Now, we do see that, you know, given the openness for India and other governments to bring sustainable food systems as part of the narrative, we do see significant policies also coming into play that will help with the commercialization of such products in the marketplace. Right. What are some high-level challenges that, you know, you're dealing with? I mean, we, I got a sense of a few of them, right? But yeah, could you talk through some of the others? I mean, for, for instance, I think hiring must be a pain, right? I mean, it's hard enough finding engineers. I mean, it should be like super hard finding scientists and then working with them, managing them. So, 
absolutely absolutely see i mean uh, when it's uh, it's always the classic resources right time money and people right? it's a constant challenge in terms of finding these resources managing these resources and like i said you know we are a science based company so you need people with a certain fiber to come in and drive the innovation happy to say we've been really really lucky to have an amazing team actually at string uh, that drives a lot of these activities i think in terms of you know doing the kind of work that we do right which is at one end it's about uh, the core technology but at the other end today we are scaling up products for the animal nutrition sector this is an existing market and there we are educating the people about changing from the current protein they use to our protein right we have products for the human nutrition sector which is a completely new emerging sector right we know meat it comes from you know the fish it comes from chicken but now we're talking about meat that is coming from formulated protein so here it's an emerging market and then we're talking about uh, products for the agri sector which is working with you know either our distribution partners or working with the farmers so as an entrepreneur as a founder i think one of the challenges has been uh, managing multiple priority and learning to focus on the highest priority that can really help us move forward in a significant way because i think that a lot of times what i find uh, to be a challenge here is a lot of times you get stuck with doing busy work right operational activities putting out fires and uh, that comes at the cost of doing really deep work what is the strategy where do i focus who are the customers that we want to sell into are we uh, able to communicate the right way to the early adopters in the market right so i think as a challenge i would say one of the first things is balancing deep work with operational activities learning how to set aside time to do that and then learning to constantly manage your priorities so going through the cycle of prioritization with yourself with your team right making sure that uh, uh, what needs to get done today is done yesterday right so uh, that building that culture of course the classic like what you touched upon capital time and people will always be limited for a startup right and to summarize you know what would your advice be to entrepreneurs who are looking to build in science and deep tech i mean what are those few nuances that uh, set this journey aside from the typical entrepreneur journey i would say the first thing is if you're looking to make money there are easier ways to make money right so i think uh, my uh, my advice is has and always been work on something that is worth failing at right because no matter what startup you do it's tough it's not just science based startup any startup is tough people don't part with their money whether it's an investor or a customer very easily so establishing product market fit getting the traction in the market scaling up like we said building the team all of this has its own challenges um i think what keeps you going is having that bigger cause that's bigger than yourself so i think and particularly when it comes to science based startups given the rate of failure in something like this i would highly recommend that uh, whatever you do ensure that the changes at the end of the day are significant right because when you're doing incremental changes often times what you find is given the long gestation period 
right? By the time you bring the product to market, the relevance for the product is not there. So I think picking that why and picking a question that's bigger than yourself that will keep you through the ups and downs of this very critical and uh, be prepared for the long haul, right? It's a lot of education for yourself, for your team, for your investors, for your partners. Be very clear on the why. Yeah, that's a line I'm going to be reflecting upon for a while now. Work on something that's worth failing at. Yeah, awesome. So, you know, this has been a fascinating conversation, Adil. And, uh, you know, to uh, to end things, I mean, what are some books or podcasts that you would recommend to our audience? I love to read. I oftentimes am reading, you know, I pick this up from uh, Nawal. I think I'm oftentimes reading at least 10 books at the same time, which is actually a big step up in my efficiency. What are some of my favorite books? Actually, for entrepreneur in the biotech space, I would highly recommend uh, Siddharth Mukherjee's Dream. I think it gives a very great narrative of how the whole biotech uh, scene has evolved, right, from Genentech to now. On the innovation side, I really love uh, Matt Riley's How Innovation Works. I think a, a fantastic book that talks about how, you know, at each stage, once mankind required a solution, they always manage to find it, right? So again, very interesting book there. And uh, I'm also a big ardent fan of philosophy. So on that side, I love Marcus Aurelius' meditations. I think a lot of startup founders can really benefit from reading that book as well. Podcast, I uh, I like uh, the Knowledge Pro- uh, Project. I heard, uh, yeah, uh, listen to a lot of very interesting folks on that. I very recently started listening to this amazing uh, podcast called Startup Operator. So <laughs> that's another one. Thank you so much. I like listening to. Yeah, and actually I like uh, any conversation by Jim Collins and Naval. Yeah, awesome. Uh, this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast again and uh, look forward to speaking with you again. Likewise. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked this episode, then don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite platform and share this episode with all of your fellow startup operators. Also follow the startup operator on LinkedIn and Twitter for more updates. Stay safe, take care and see you soon on a brand new episode of the startup operator.